I don't even like Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Oh. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. I told you the Drake was bad. I hate the Drake. The weekly pseudo-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with all of my co-hosts, finally all back in the same virtual room. We have Wayne and Hannah and Katya. How's it going, guys? Hey. Hey. Yeah, that's good. Could, could, be, could be worse. Could be better. That was the most dreary sounding hey. <laughs> hey, it's cold. It's cold. Frozen it's cold in North Carolina. Sucks. I'm under-caffeinated and it's Monday. What do you want from me? Yeah. And Frozen 2 sucked. I mean, come on. Yeah, suck. so you're blizzard because you're used to cold. <laughs> Meanwhile, we are in the south, and therefore are dying because it was like 34 degrees when I got out of my house this morning. The cold I am black. My people me. are from a warm weather climate, and this is, <laughs> and yet yeah. I can still deal with this. How, how long have you lived in the snowy north, sir? All my life. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, see, my, my ancestors are from Northern Scotland, and I still hate yeah. this shit. So, yeah. Okay. Well, so you're, you're arguing that I've evolved, like personally, like I've, I've and we all I've know better than that. To have, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I was involved. I think it's more of like, like a lateral move. <laughs> Anyway, so nonsense aside, oh yeah, right. Nonsense aside, um, so the nonsense. Have you, have you listened today, to the show? I have. Um, <laughs> He's listened to it more than we have. I have to. I listen to every show like four times as I'm editing it. Yeah, I always avoid the ones that I'm on because the sound of my own voice weirds me out. Yep. Yeah, me too. And I have to do it like every week. It's yeah. So well, you know, you are already choice. a little crazy, so you it's know, your choice. You decide to edit. Yeah. Yeah. This is your choice. You did this to yourself, sir. Yeah. Anyway, so um, <laughs> <laughs> the topic. Uh, this one is sort of loosely based. Yeah, originally on on something Hannah said on an episode. I don't know, three, four episodes back. But I think it probably it goes to all of us. Which was you made a comment. You and Josh, your boyfriend, were both on on a show, and you both pointed out that you hated the movie The Shining, and then we made fun of you because you're wrong. I, no, but, I'm not. I'm actually very right. And if I Hannah, keep myself Hannah, further, Hannah, if you keep pushing this, our friendship is in jeopardy. Don't do it. I see. I will. There are so few films that are made in Oregon. <laughs> the Shining happens to be one of them. I'm gonna the only thing that shapes in our friendship is that Hannah still accepts that the Goonies is good. I like the Goonies. Goonies never say die. And since right. Goonies never say die, I'm going to double down this and say Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, is better than The Shining because it actually has character development, a coherent plot. 
Uh, character yeah, development. Which, which, yeah. which is something the book version of it lacked significantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've not seen Doctor Sleep yet. I need to. Yeah. Kitty. Yeah, it also has. A so kitty. basically, this is an episode that we're bas- we're basically complaining about how Hannah doesn't like things. <laughs> no, no, not just yeah. Hannah. Because here's here's what I think is interesting. Here's why I wanted to do this show because as much as I made fun of her on that episode and and I'm doing so now, that's only because you know I'm a mean person. But in reality, <laughs> there are. In reality, you're a mean person. Yeah, I am. Um, Well, in reality, I'm also a mean person. But also, there are many things that sort of I acknowledge are classically good or that, you know, or important or high culture or important low culture or whatever. Things that I realize are supposedly good and I understand why they're good. And yet I still don't like them. So I thought, you know, we'd sort of. Right. You know, so it's like canonical also. quality versus personal taste. Right. I'm not and wrong. Yeah. I'm not wrong in my critiques of The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely not. <laughs> I know, although there is another one that Hannah and I discussed that we agree on that's falls in this camp that's more literary. Henry James. Henry James is definitely in this camp for me. Yeah. Henry James well, is the worst. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to go. I want to go through some things that are, you know, sort of, you know, classically understood to have quality. And we might even understand why they have quality on our personal level. But we personally don't like them. And then maybe sort of turn this into a conversation of um, of what is taste versus what is critique um there's probably some some hogart versus adorno in here which is yeah meaningless to regular people (laughs) i think there's also some slippage between whose taste counts as critique because i think that's where this becomes complicated is like i think there's so many points where what counts as good is it comes from a particular kind of taste that's a particular subset of people like for example like like the New York Times review of books or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, not that that's necessarily like the literary canon, but it is like sort of the books that are popular are often bestsellers and they're sort of like do well. But that's basically a particular, you know, the New York Times readers and like their taste and what the reviewers think that their audience will enjoy. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I have noticed personally, and, and this is um, something that happens a lot you have a big movie blockbuster comes out and it's, it's going to happen with comics and and books and, and and music as well but i was thinking anytime a movie from marvel comes out and it does really really well critically you'll have all the fans who are like diehard DC Zack Snyder lovers who get very upset that, well, the DC movie didn't do well. The you know, And you can tell that all the critics are being paid by Disney because they all had the same opinion. And so it's like the MSNBC versus Fox news. Yeah. 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 It's right. obviously, it's, it's obviously you're in the pocket, except right. it's not. It's it, And I think it's more, well, you sort of become a professional movie critic or book critic by having a certain aesthetic taste right. that makes you say sort of things, uh, sort of things. So like for, for instance, um, there are things on my list to name, to name a book that nobody um, ever reads unless they're an academic because it's a horrible book. Um, there's a book called Absalom, Absalom. By, yeah, I, I by read Foster. that. 
which uh, I hate. It's a hate horrible Potter. book. Mm. Yeah, and now yeah, I recognize it's, it's genius. Mm. I, I understand why it's an important book. I understand why it's canonized. No one should ever be subjected to this. No, um, but one of my professors loves it, and he's wrong, and I've told him that to his face. <laughs> and there's so many things that are like I think like for me it's Moby Dick. I love Moby Dick. I think it's a great book. I enjoy the hell out of it. I also understand why people find it really not entertaining. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's like because I think that, that what we're talking about with reviewers and stuff is also true for sort of like academics and like culture nerds more broadly that are interested in like studying this stuff either you know as a hobby or as a profession like i'm fascinated by moby dick for partially because of its place in history and also because i think he's a 19th century author that's basically like trolling the planet uh <laughs> because that's my reading of moby and that's my reading of melville and and, and if anyone wants to correct me i will not listen to I, it because and I, and I, I like the use of trolling there because there's a whole fishing subtext to that, that uh, oh my god that there we've is. forgotten we could talk about moby dick forever we probably should it's great. Well, because he's basically like making shit up. Like his half of his whale facts are completely, completely fabricated. <laughs> and it's basically it's not even and a novel. The, and, the, and the whale lobby is so upset over this. The whale lobby is very upset. Well, actually, like I think weirdly, what we're talking about, what we did is a great example because, like, it's not really a novel. It's a collection of whale facts with some plot in the middle, which is what makes it unique. And I think interesting to a lot of scholars and part of one of one of the many reasons why it's canonized is because like like his other novels like Taipei and everything, which are much more typical, like that's the one that we read. Um, But it's also precisely the thing that makes it unpleasant to read for most normal people. I acknowledge this. I think they're wrong, but I accept their. I, I accept. I accept it. Kind of. <laughs> it, it's Phony Bone's favorite book in the the wonderful comic series Bone. So That's because it's, it's the best. That. It's so weird. <laughs> it's like you have a normal adventure plot, and then suddenly we're going to talk about the inner lives of giant squid for five pages. Like what other novel does that? It's so great. There's, there's probably some Lovecraft that does that, but that's... <laughs> right, but only because Melville did it first. And and Lord of the Melville's my dude. Yeah, Lord of the Rings does it. I mean, not necessarily the same thing, but there are a lot. There's lots of minutia in Lord of the Rings books, which is why that's on my list of things that I don't like. Now, oddly enough, I actually did like them as a child. But having tried yeah. to read them as an adult, I go, oh, God, this, this is this is unreadable. What the fuck is he doing? This is unreadable. With the exception of The Hobbit. The Hobbit I liked. It's short. It has a it keeps mostly to the plot. It's, it's written humor. for children. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. I had a very similar experience of like reading it when I was like fourth and fifth grade. And I guess it's like one of those things. So, OK, and this maybe is true of like a couple things we've already talked about, but like. Is it you thought it was good when you were a kid because you were told it was good? Like, I was told, like, this is important sci-fi when I was a kid, basically. Like, I knew it was a thing. For me? And, like, yeah. So, like, did that shape how you read it at the time, thinking it was great? Oh, okay. No one one cared when in my life when I was growing up. I I read it because I was a nerd. And, you know, I had read all the Oz books. Um, I had has, read The Hobbit. And somebody right. said, I don't know, maybe this. And then I, yeah, and I, then I was okay. Yeah. I, had, I had a history teacher who turned me on to it. And, and at the time, I was in high school before I read Lord of the Rings. And at the time, I mm-hmm. loved it. Partially because in spite of all the comics I'd read in my entire life, I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of long-form fantasy and novels. Mm, um, so that just kind of threw me headfirst into the genre. And then I read tons and tons of really bad fantasy <laughs> novels. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, I was I was the worst Lord of the Rings fan, which I would like start reading them before the movie started happening. So I got to be like, I was like the annoying kid that was like, you know, that part of the scene, that scene in the movie was wrong because of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Let me pull out my highlighted volume of Return of the King. I can, I can tell you why I did not want to read them. And then actually why I don't like them anymore, um, which is my father gave me The Hobbit and I liked The Hobbit. And then he handed me this like three volume set <laughs> of like um, his like Lord of the Rings books from like when he was young. He was like, this is the sequel. And I was like, okay, are there any girls in it this time? And he was like, One. well, they're not there for very long. And I was like, no, thanks. there's, there's and a few then, more in the footnotes. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the you like, know. back of return of the King. Um, and then I finally like read them and watched the movies. I guess I was at the time, like at a point in time, my age in like middle school where it was like, all right, world building. This is cool. And you know, Eowyn has a good that, story. Is that line. a canonical high school period? World building is cool. I don't know. Phase. Phase. <laughs> um, for nerds, for nerds, it is. Yeah. The nerd phase. Yes. World building is cool, guys. And then I went to Oxford at the end of college and had to take a Tolkien seminar as part of being there and wrote a paper on feminism and Lord of the Rings. And now I just can't watch them. I just can't do it. I just think about my paper the entire time. I think I ruined it myself. So we, we should actually note that for all of our listeners. If you enjoy reading or media, being an academic is in some ways the worst thing you can do for that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like it sounds like a great idea. Horrible idea. It's like, oh, I could make my job reading shit for a living. And then you do. And then it's like, no, reading shit's I, my job. I, 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 <laughs> and, I, and I hate everything because I've learned to be right. critical. And, and you have to read stuff that you don't like. Hence why I have more of a grudge against Henry, Henry James than I did at the beginning of my graduate career because well, I read... For me, yeah. Right. I read more than I've ever wanted to because you have to read... It's not just you have to read like both good and bad things, but you have to read the other stuff that other people sometimes long dead said were good and important mm. and they are they're just also like good and entertaining are not the same thing yes yep. which case in point what are our thoughts on lord of the rings movies are they good sort of depends on what you so that, that, okay. that's one well, of the things like, that's interesting um like what's good mean right i enjoy two out of those three movies and I enjoy 15 minutes with okay, the one in the middle. Wait, okay, I was going to say, wait, yeah. what do you not like? <laughs> uh, the, the problem, so the problem with Lord of the Rings, and this is like, it goes back to the books. The problem with Lord of the Rings is, yes, I realized that he really didn't want to write three books. He wanted to write one book that was 6,000 pages and everyone told him no. And, um, and every, like, every sane person told him no. Yeah, but, <laughs> like nothing matters, nothing happens that matters in two towers it is eight thousand pages of being of people being lost in the fucking woods it's oh see i like two more, towers there's more to that see, yeah I, well so here's the thing the ends are interesting there's a lot of world building there is a little battle that does sort of matter in the grand scheme of things but, but yeah. seriously like you can summarize the book in 30 seconds they walk you know, through a swamp. Don't, they walk don't take the away woods. more of Eowyn's story away than has already been taken away. <laughs> well, that's um, not a good book. I mean, like, she, yeah. she, she should have a story. She doesn't. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, she's actually much more interested than a lot of the characters. Yeah. She's it's just like, this is like basically a side story. Like, oh, by the way, there's this entire like battalion of lady soldiers happening. But over here, 
We must go to the more interesting things, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the swap. Uh, but, you know, like... When Over I, here, hobbits are drinking. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I actually wonder, like, good? Like, I mean, obviously, there are things... Like, if you're talking about a movie, you can say there are certain things about her that are good. Like, Frozen 2, the animation is beautiful. The music is not good. The plot sucks. <laughs> well... The plot like is real guess- bad. They took everything from Game of Thrones that they could, including <laughs> the line, the things we do for love, and they smooshed it into a child's movie. I'm serious. The end of Game of I Thrones, know, the fine. end of Frozen 2. That seems okay. I'm serious. I, I actually liked it, but um but I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Hannah is not wrong. <laughs> she, she, so, she is correct. That is what happened. I did um, Christoph's song that is every 80s oh, that song. That's hilarious. I, I, did, I did enjoy that song. Mm. It's not good in the way. Like, I understand why a lot of people got sick of Let, Let It Go, but Let It Go is a very good pop song that works very well in that first movie. And this movie does not have that. I, yeah. I, I will say, I say that I hate Frozen 2 with like sadness because Frozen is one of my favorite Disney movies and Josh and I sing the soundtrack to the original (laughs) on the way home every Christmas and I just feel like the plot of this movie betrays everything. I am welling up here. I I, 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 my heart just grew three sizes. (laughs) So I guess have a definition of what good means because I think there's like two versions of good we've come up or a couple of versions actually. So there's entertaining, which is a kind of good. There's influential, which is like they've done something new that like changes how other people create things, a la perhaps Melville. And then there's something like so there's there's influential, which I guess is also similar to important. Like something that's like a seminal work. Uh, see, important. Is there any though, other right? like? Yeah, because uh, I think there's we'll also it- culturally relevant, right? Like, uh, like yeah. here's one. I guess. Yeah, I guess to me that's, that's what I mean. There, there are things that are important when they come out and then cease being important as well. Sure. Twilight. Yeah. I mean, because the, 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 there are things that are are massively influential in a short term and then just sort of right. fall off the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that like what I I know you're gonna roll your eyes when I say this, but uh, Kant would say, oh boy, <laughs> if you think something is good, you're declaring that like you think other people will enjoy it, basically. So like you you are judging something that you could see as like universally being acclaimed or enjoyed. Um, so like you're not just see, saying, but I don't. You're not just saying oh. I enjoyed Frozen too. You're you to say it's good, you actually have to think that everybody else will also think this. But is it everybody really? Because like, that, I guess it's like, is that actually everybody? It's the, an imagined shared everybody like recommendation, right? But what does that actually mean? Because like, I I can say like I would say that Moby Dick is good. I do not by any stretch of the imagination think that the majority of people would enjoy it. Well, and the, so there's that that personal interpretation of that as well. I can hear an album sure. by a band I really like and think this is awesome. Fully aware that most of my friends are not going to like it at all. Sure. And, well, and there's also the flip side, which is, and again, so this is you know, the entire point of discussing Kant is to criticize what Kant says and say what we agree with and what we don't agree with. Yeah, yeah, sure, favorite TV show is based around this, right? Um, <laughs> but, but like, I'm I'm thinking there are things that I enjoy that I even n- think I can recommend to certain people who they might enjoy as well. But I know are absolute shit, and I've mentioned before on this show. 
I enjoy the movie Sucker Punch. I know it's bad. Oh, yeah. Very much aware that it's a bad movie. And, you know, the way I always recommend it to people is I say, this is the best possible movie anybody could ever make without plot, character development, or socially redeeming value. You know, (laughs) like if you get rid of those three things, killer, right? But I know it's bad. And so I, I, I don't know that it's just my, like, like my taste like this is a thing that i enjoy watching while i'm drinking you know which is a lot of media right yeah yeah like there's different kinds of enjoying too it's like there's like deep intellectual enjoyment and then there's also like i want to zone out and watch bob burgers for you know two hours and not and not particularly switch my brain on yeah like of course like for the record uh we talked about kant in depth on episode 57 57 wow you can do that um I can do uh, what? You you just know episode numbers? I'm amazed. Uh, no, I pulled it up to look it up to cite okay. it. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Hannah, no, it's it's in, it's it's ingrained in your mind. You secretly have an eidetic memory. Just, just link just the show notes it. if I remember. Uh, <laughs> and we, you know, in that episode, because we don't want to get too much in this, like part of the problem with Kant and other like theories of taste is like there are always assumptions uh, about like what kind of audience this is and sure. what kind of taste you must have to be included in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and a lot of that has to do with like developing like class, class conscious, words, class consciousness in particular. Cause like a lot of times, I mean, Hannah, you can probably speak more to this than I can, but in terms like when the middle class is emerging from sort of between the lower, the upper classes and like class mobility starts becoming a larger part of Western culture. What culture, cultural references you understand and know start being much more important because yeah. it's basically about separating yourself from like the plebeians and mm-hmm. entering society. I mean, like there, some of the issues we're talking about right now, like we're be, like, largely debated in the 19th century over and again, like with sensation fiction. And if you don't know what sensation fiction is, it's because it was a genre that started in the 1850s and died out by the 1870s, basically. Uh, and it was kind of a proto detective fiction where people would do crazy stuff um, and there would be evil twins and like mad women and murderous women and a lot of drug use and bigamy and what have you. And uh, people did not the appreciate best things in life. Right. So early Tarantino, yeah. yeah. early Tarantino. Uh, it's better than Tarantino. Um, right. But Victorian yeah. Tarantino is what I'm saying. Sure. <laughs> you know, so like all the people who read like nice domestic fiction, freaked out because they were like oh no the home is being attacked because all of the sensation fiction always took place in like everyday life so it brought like these terrors of bad behavior to the home and the middle class is reading this and what is happening to our taste you know it's the basically the same conversation in time like 50 shades of gray or something like that gets big now Mm -hmm. so or like yeah what what, heaven forbid social media and cat memes are destroying you know (laughs) millennial culture we eat avocados and we're bad right yeah i know because yeah we we like avocados too much so we have to single-handedly destroy the economy i don't like avocado there you go it's not all just media avocado are you are you a boomer though no i like people i right. understand why people like avocado i don't like guacamole i think it's disgusting what i, under, I, I don't understand why anybody you're wrong likes it. you're wrong you're, wrong. But this you're, is the thing that you're just wrong <laughs> guacamole is fucking delicious what's wrong no. with you no don't have you mean the wrong I, 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 i'm somewhere between, like, i'm somewhere between between these two extremes a little bit but uh 
Have we have we discovered the truth behind the millennial non millennial divide? Well, except for, <laughs> except for Wayne's an, Wayne's an older Gen Xer than I am. Yeah, you know, I'm, right. I'm, I'm at the very end of Gen X. I'm yeah, I am. I'm the van, but you're not a millennial. No, I'm not. I'm no. definitely Gen Xer. But the thing is, it's sort of like a like it's not like I'm going to vomit if I have guacamole. But any dish that I've ever had that has guacamole in it, I think this will be better without the guacamole. I'm kind of I'm, I'm with you. I don't hate it. But but more often than not, that's my reaction when guacamole is in or on something. Or when someone puts, but, a, you know, puts some chips on the table. And like, that not the same. No, thank you. Guacamole and avocados are not the same. Yeah. Avocados can yeah. be used in many applications. And, and, and you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Same thing. You know, if somebody has chopped up avocado and put it in a salad, I'm still going to eat the salad. But, you know, my head's going to be go, going, why'd you ruin a good salad by putting Wait. these avocados in there? <laughs> you know? I, will, I will tell you the thing that I hate that I have no <laughs> argument for and I know is irrational. Sure. Ketchup. Ketchup freaks me out. What? Ketchup freaks me out. Ketchup. Everybody loves oh. ketchup. I'm afraid of it. You're afraid of it? <laughs> I am afraid, You're afraid of, it. of ketchup. You, you shouldn't come to Pittsburgh yet. Yeah, you've never been to our city. No. Have you? Yeah. I'm afraid of it. I yeah. have been to Pittsburgh. I'm afraid of it touching me. They let you in? They did. <laughs> you didn't yeah. say that out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not a big fan. I, I, I'm not a big fan of ketchup either. Well, uh, as we're spe- as we're speaking, Wayne is currently having an angry mob gather outside of his <laughs> yeah. home in Pittsburgh. Uh, it was nice knowing you, Wayne. For the casual listener, two things matter to this city. One is the Pittsburgh Steelers. The other is Heinz ketchup. Yeah, and I'm not I, joking. I, and, and I'm enough. Of, I'm enough of a Pittsburgher that if I'm anywhere else in the world eating out and there's a different type of ketchup on the table, I notice. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, just a, it's, yeah. it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, there are, I, I, I don't eat it. But I notice that it's wrong. You were to have a, open a restaurant in Pittsburgh and be like, oh, you know, we serve Hunt's ketchup here. Someone might stab you. Yes. So you're like, so Wayne, you're like a lapsed Catholic who like, it's not that you believe, it's not necessarily that you like practice, but you're just sort of like, when, when you see sort of like yeah. something against Catholicism, you're like, wait a second. Wait, yeah, I feel, exactly. I, I feel a deep uneasiness. <laughs> hey guys. Yes. yes. Do you think it's going to be obvious that we record this right before Thanksgiving to the listeners? <laughs> No, <laughs> never. I mean, to be fair, is this really that much more of a, uh, you know, non sequitur disaster than usual? <laughs> non sequitur disaster. Why didn't we name this show that? <laughs> I mean, that's like the subtitle of my life and autobiography. So, um, so what if? What is the best, most critically acclaimed thing that you hate? Oh God! Did I actually hate it? That was like, so, why do you hate it? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, okay. I do. I have one that I actually. This is probably the only piece of media that I actually hate. There are lots of things I, did, I don't. I don't care for, but I understand. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Avatar, Ooh. I fucking hate Fern Gully, the live the live version. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because like, okay, I understand. Okay, first of all, that is not a good movie. Anyone who like looked like the script is so bad, mm-hmm. so bad. And like, I understand why everyone was like, it was visually stunning. But like at the time I was much more of an, a science fiction scholar and everyone, as soon as I said, I studied science fiction would be like, oh, you must love Avatar. And I was like, no, because it's like shitty, even more problematic Pocahontas Ooh. <laughs> with really awful, like with the worst screenplay I've ever, like the dialogue is so horrendous. And there were all these like news stories about people like going into depression because their world didn't look like whatever the hell oh, yeah, planet it's supposed to be. Navi, yeah, 
Right. And I think you're, I think history has sort of proven you right on this one, right? Like people, people acknowledge that Avatar, well, I don't think any, I don't think most people say this movie sucks the way you're doing, right? Like, but I think people acknowledge that it's not as good as they thought it was in 2019. It was, it right. was the Avatar, whether technologically people, yeah, it was very it was a, sophisticated. Yeah, it, was, like, it was, it was as a, a movie, it was a giant fucking trash. I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I saw like news articles praising it, um, what you were talking about. But the thing is, like, Avatar 2 is supposed to come out in like two years, which they've oh been gosh. saying for like years, right? And there's like. Either 18, yes. And Avatar, like, he's making eight of them or something. I don't remember. I, he's think, like, I think it's oh, like, why? Or something. why? I, but, like, but even, even like, if you ha- don't hate it, which I do. Has the moment passed? Because anytime I hear people talk about Avatar, it's about the sequels and they're like, I just, I feel like the moment has passed. I mean, it was a fine movie or I hated it or like, I don't even care anymore. So. Well, I think it's like the reason to make it. I mean, the only reason in my mind to make a sequel for a movie like that is because the story is compelling. There is nothing compelling about that story. The world might be compelling to some people, but it was a movie that basically was, did well because it like was from a it was special effects perspective was extremely attractive you don't need the story the world anything else in that movie to do that you just need a really bang mm-hmm. special effects team and everybody stole that technology and made much better movies in the yeah. in the next several years precisely to the point where we eventually got sick of the technology and now most people not ever I should say most people I don't I haven't done a survey but a lot of people hate 3D now I'm not one of them I actually think when used correctly 3D can improve a picture and the problem but, is that yeah used correctly a lot right. of the time right. Just, yeah. right. mm-hmm. and I think that's like the well yeah which is I mean I would be curious to see what those movies turn into because it's like there was nothing memorable about that movie other than the fact it was pretty I don't I mean I've not watched it again I, I should watch it again to see if I like I don't really remember it I, I know I know that like my critical assessment of it at the time was wow this is basically Fern Gully but I think I liked Fern Gully better but I haven't like yeah. revisited it because it's like basically a bunch of classic sci-fi Pocahontas, Ferngully all mashed together poorly. Mm-hmm. Like, and allegedly he apparently stole the, like a lot of the scene setting from a novel or something that published a decade earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to remind everyone that it was nominated for best picture. Yes. Yeah, um, I know, but didn't his didn't his ex wife like she won best beat, picture? Yeah, yes, won best picture. And that was a correct decision that the Academy made between yeah, the two. No, yeah, it was that like Hurt yeah. Locker. Yeah, Hurt Locker. That was actually quite a good movie. It wasn't like my jet. Actually, another good example: The Hurt Locker, a movie that I like was very good. I enjoyed it, but it's not the kind of movie that I'm like, yay! I'm excited to watch this. Mm-hmm. But it was like one of those things. Like, okay, yeah, this one. This is a good movie. This is great. I'm not gonna like. It's not gonna go on my shelf of favorite movies ever. But it's good. Hannah, this was your question. So what is the what is the thing that you um, hate that you think like the most surprising thing that you think is, you know, hate the most versus the most acclaim or whatever? I mean, I don't I don't think it would surprise anyone, but I really hate Gone with the Wind. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) Book or movie. I I just I get very irritated when people are like, yeah, okay, like it's bad, but like it's so beautiful. and. It might be because I I grew up surrounded by people who wanted to live in the antebellum South in that very specific way. Wow, not me. 
Yeah. Don't, just don't get married. Yeah. I'm sorry, ma'am. You did not grow up being a debutante. Excuse nope. me. I did not I have to revise my entire opinion of you. And, and don't get married at plantations. There, there's a country band that uses the name Aunt, Lady Antebellum, and don't they know what that means? Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, just all those. I mean, all the myths of like the KKK was actually about protecting women and they weren't a terrorist organization, even though they clearly and obviously were are reinforced by that film and mm-hmm. i just i just i just i i know that it it was well made at the time and it was the blockbuster in stay but i just i cannot i cannot watch it for fun i cannot the, endorse anyone else in theaters it for, for like three years yeah, yeah. oh it's still right. it, it pops up in my uh amc like list on occasion or like yeah sure, sure. of like being like you know in theaters for a day yeah well and Gone with the Wind, I think, is also problematic in that it's uh, often still taught as like, and it, like, okay, it's still taught as like an important part of film history, which it is. But the problem is when it's not when it's taught just as an artifact of film history without the social contextualization. I can attest this from firsthand experience. I could too. It is a problem. Also, <laughs> I just have to say. Well, because if you're teaching it just as a, like, I understand why instructors want to teach it just as an important film because they don't want to reinforce those things. But I think by doing that and teaching it just as this is a good movie, you're, you're doing, as Hannah said, like you're reinforcing all of the really gross politics that go along with it. I mean, there's no part of that movie that isn't gross, honestly. Like even, even like Scarlett's like rise as a woman is predicated on her stepping on other women. But yeah, she's a specifically. Human. I mean, specifically like black women, but also like her sister and other things. Like she's she's just a right. trash human, and like the domestic violence. And don't forget that like it's the movie that people point to when they say that oh, you know, like women always want it if they're raped because Scarlett wakes up happy after she's like forced to sleep with Rhett. It's just it's disgusting on every level, and I hate mm-hmm. it. And also, it's super long and boring on top of, yeah. on top of like all the like social things it's also boring and i guess i'm the only one who's read the book the book is all of those things too i'm pretty i've seen it i'm pretty sure i haven't seen it in the time span that either hannah or katya have been alive on this planet uh, <laughs> it is a long ass movie it is a long ass book it is not very good <laughs> um i understand why i guess but i, I don't disagree with anything that you said well i um, guess i mean with that film though i actually like i i understand why it's this piece of film history i don't understand why it's still taught in undergraduate film courses it seems like there are way better more productive films to talk about I think it's what you were talking about before, where we have to separate when we say good. Are we talking about quality? Are we talking about enjoyment? Are we talking about importance? And at the end of the day, it is. I mean, you cannot take away that it was in theaters for three straight years in first release because it was that important in a film. So importance alone. I mean, it's so here's one where I where I don't. But I think undergrad when I'm I'm talking about like the undergraduate film survey, which is often I mean, undergraduate surveys in general often ignore really important cultural objects specifically because they're they're problematic to teach. Yeah. Yeah. I and I know. guess I'm, I wonder why that movie in particular continues to be like, it's, it's assumed that it will be on every sort of American right. film history syllabus Maybe in a way that, it was even, that big. 
It was right. so big that it, it, it even in a way that like like things like Faulkner and Hemingway mm-hmm. like are like often left off. I think that a good yeah. way to approach this is actually what my media studies professor did, and mm. like he was teaching us a survey of like you know the development of American media, and we did not watch Gone with the Wind, but we like watched a couple of clips and discussed the history, and the entire time he talked about the gender issues and the race issues. And how, like, the history of Hollywood, like, aligned with, like, the things we saw on screen. And obviously, Song of the South, you can't legally get the full movie. But we also talked about Song of the South and, you know, the stereotypes in Gone with the Wind and Song of the South um, that were used by Hollywood, um, both (laughs) outside of the film, um, outside filmmaking and, like, in films itself to reinforce dominant cultural narratives. And that I think also gone with the wind. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, oh, I, and I thought that was like really important to learn. And then we didn't have to sit through that, and we could actually watch like films that <laughs> mattered. Anyway, <laughs> well, and I think Gone with the Wind is also it's ingrained in a political and social way. In again, problematic to say the least, in a way that a lot of other films are, which I think that's also why it survives. Like it's a for you know, it's a stereotypically southern film in a way that regardless of whether you want to propagate that version of the South sticks in syllabi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, like honestly, a lot of people uh, from all over the country and outside the country, like the idea of Southern plantation houses in the same way that they like English country estates. And while mm-hmm. those things are different, both of them exploited uh, slave, uh, enslaved bodies and colonial bodies to, you know, exploit and take away wealth from other people. So uh, here's me, I guess, ruining your Jane Austen too. <laughs> right. well, because, well, because it's like, yeah, there's, a, there's an appeal to like, we want to enjoy those things without recognizing that they're part of like historical power structures and death and genocide and just generally being shitty to other humans. Anyway, don't get married at a plantation. That's all I have to say. Yeah, those. that's weird. That's uh, weird. I'm going to hate on something, you know, just to change the subject slightly. I'll hate on something Matt never does that. Um, that is less controversial, just that I don't like it as much. And I think, you know, the opposite end of the, to- of the coin, um, I'm looking at my list of things where I was like trying to trying to figure out before we record it. What are the things that I want to talk about? So to answer Hannah's question of something that probably the most people like, and yet I actually actively dislike it, pretty much everything Monty Python. And I've just just lost our entire listenership. Yes, you're welcome. We've we've had a similar conversation in the store, I think. British comedy in general. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Mavs? understand it. I understand it. I get why. You, I get why this, it's good. Um. And it's and it's not like it's not. This is so, my childhood, man. How dare you? I I grew up a poor black kid in the seventies, and I watched it, and I'm smart enough to go. I understand why that's funny. It's not. But it I understand why it's funny. It's just I I have no relation to it. I understand it academically. And and like as I've learned more, like I've I've watched um I don't know the Holy Grail, and I've you know and I know enough about actual Arthurian history where I go oh I get that eh, it's just not for me uh, okay and and, and most uh. 
most mm. British comedy, like the same, uh, I'm trying to think, Ab Fab, um, I felt the same way about. Um, I think the Black American Adder Office. Is, Black, Black Adder, Adder is genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the American <laughs> Office is better than the British one. <laughs> Just like, I thought that was like universally acknowledged. No, no. Most, no? No. no okay. most well, I hate both bit, of like, them, so. Yeah. Yeah, most most of the um of the office, of the, well, I shouldn't say well, there, and, there are and, office and, purists who God, know God, it's you, all about the yeah, the original. God, you, thank, you, thank you for saying that because the office, I I was having a tough time coming up with things I kind of hate, and the office is one of them. I, well, I, I just, just I, like, I just don't get it. Just I don't. I mean, okay, this is like one of those things that okay, if Matt already lost all of her money, Python listenership, I'm about to lose the rest of it because it's like there's so many of those TV shows where like the office community parks and rec, like I get it. I understand why they're appealing. I have no desire to watch any of them. That's, that's where I am with all of that stuff. I, I've tried just doesn't speak to me in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not my jam. Yeah. So that what it is. Enjoy it. is that like one of our definitions of good? Right. Because it, it, like, so for instance, with Monty Python, even though it's not for me, I, I like I said, I understand why it's saying to people and mm-hmm. Wayne, I bet you and Wayne and Katya, I bet you guys understand why people like the office. Yeah. Like you understand yeah. the significance of it. But um, I, I, I wonder if I'd ever worked in that setting. I was going to say it, that. It's, it's, it's like the comic strip Dilbert. That doesn't speak to yeah. me either. And but maybe because right. I just me, don't, it's, it's not neither a culture you've right ever now. worked in a cube farm, right? Right. Right. I have briefly. Okay. okay. I have I for mean, a long I, time. And yeah. I guess part I of it, I guess part of it is like, I don't, I don't enjoy like that cringy kind of like awkward humor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the, what's funny about it is making you feel like, Oh God, why, why? Like that, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like even, um, actually the one most recently Fleabag. Yeah. That I just finished watching. I would just watch, finish watching that. And I enjoyed it. It was a very good TV show, but it was one of those things that like, this is not my brand of humor. I enjoyed it enough to watch it, but eh. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I, I've been rewatching the the British comedy show Coupling, which is a better friends. Um, mm. <laughs> I've seen Coupling. Yeah, I've seen it, Coupling, it, and I actually, I, I, Coupling's a rare example where I actually did like it. Um, it, it they did a lot of clever, clever really mm-hmm. clever things with storytelling. Yeah, another one where there's an American remake where, which is you know, you know, sorry, it's just as good. They, you know, they're they're yeah. Okay. <laughs> it didn't I think last like, America. No. I think for me, stuff like The Office also falls in like the camp that like it, it's of like TV shows that I arrived too late enough that was there's no way it could possibly live that, up to the hype. That might, yeah, that might be part of it for me as well. Yeah, like, and I often experience that with video games mm-hmm. because I'm often I am like I am a video game scholar, but I'm often slow to get to the video games because I usually see what people are playing and I want like I play what I need to play for research as well as like what I play for fun. So mm-hmm. things like, for example, Witcher. I I know that Witcher is a very important video game. It is a very popular video game. It's very cool. I personally live on a show, right? I personally find it kind of overrated. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy it, and I get why people who enjoy a different kind of genre and play style than I do enjoy it. But I'm just like, mm, not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, if you go back to that episode, which I, I I'm not Hannah, so I can't just pull it out out of the t- out of the air. But it's you know early on when we did that that episode. I talked about it, and I was like, oh well, I tried to play this for the show, and it turned out that it just made me feel stupid because I am not a good enough video game player to um where to where, where this game works for me. It was a lot of work, yeah. and I was like, eh, I'm not enjoying myself anymore. And for me, it's like not that it's like really difficult to play. It's just that it's a lot of tramping through the swamps in a way that I don't find appealing. <laughs> Just like the two towers. Weird. Yeah. Well, it's weird though, because I really like Skyrim. I think I think actually somehow for me, Witcher has so much content 
it's too much for me. Whereas Skyrim still has a giant ton of content, but it seems more manageable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also, Halo, which I know, okay, all the gamers people are going to hate me. I've like never actually played through a Halo game because I grew up in a Sony household. Yeah, I, I played. And, I, I and played. Did not do the, the Xbox. That's one of the few I have done, and and yeah. I, I really enjoyed Halo at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just my I couldn't figure out how to use my controller. My 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 dad's soul would explode if I bought an Xbox. So you know, <laughs> it's, you, you could call it work. <laughs> I don't have yeah, one of their, I don't, I have a PlayStation. I don't think that he would accept that as an explanation. Episode 16. That's where we talked about video games. <laughs> I can right. I can Google stuff too. <laughs> Yay! Good to know um, you have a basic tech skill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, well, here's one that I mean, since you're talking about research, this is one that I think falls into the same camp for both me and Wayne, and I know he feels the same way about it. So I'm going to mention it. Um, and this okay. is, I think, where we talk about the importance to the medium and the skill and the greatness with which it's produced. And Wayne's probably guessed which comic I'm going to refer to right now. <laughs> Jimmy Corrigan, the smartest kid on earth. Oh my yeah. God, it's fucking unreadable. Yeah, I, yeah and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, there's a new book by Chris Ware that came out called Rusty yes. Brown. Yes. And I actually sat down and read it because I have never made it through Jimmy Corrigan. And it, like I, I admire what he's doing. I get what he's doing. I understand mm-hmm. why it's important. Jimmy Corrigan just so does not speak to me on a personal level. Yeah. I found it difficult to read. My eyes are old and there's a lot of really tiny fucking panels. <laughs> um, if he could have done, if he could have done what that, that important thing that he was doing in like 50 or 60 pages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, I, I read Rusty Brown and I got through it and I liked it much better than Jimmy Corrigan. He really? does a lot of the same things. There's and here's and I, people who are really into Jimmy Corrigan are probably going to call me out on this. It felt to me as though it had more of a structured narrative to it that I can understand and huh. that than Jimmy Corrigan did. Um, I'm admit, I didn't even give it a shot. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it's I understand still, Jimmy Corrigan. I, I I have a copy of it. I don't know if I ever finished it. I yeah, understand why everybody loves it, and I'm like, I'm done with this. In, I just, in, <laughs> in general, Rusty Brown is still not my thing. You know. Okay. Um, but I, I read it and I enjoyed the experience of reading it much more than I expected to going into it based on Jimmy Corrigan and previous stuff. And let's say, I, I think it's just there's more of and like the big caveat, more of a quote unquote direct narrative to it than I got mm-hmm. out of Jimmy Corrigan. Um, but that that's for people who are more invested in Chris Ware to determine and talk about than I am. <laughs> so, hmm. But yeah, I, it, it's yeah. And that whole thing of important versus good, you know, while we're on, on the comics thing, Cerebus, the aardvark, I, I would make the point. That's an incredibly important comic in the history of creators rights and self publishing and all this stuff. And it's, re- it's really good for 20 out of those 300 issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'd say starting with issue around tw- issue twenty five up through a hundred, the the oh, church you're, and state. You're more generous than me. <laughs> yeah, high society and church and state. I think are really good, but they are also incredibly dated. I, they were really good in nineteen eighty four, but it is such specific parody that anybody coming to it now would be going, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> um, but I, I, as a comic, as a comics historian, I, I would say it's an 
incredibly essentially important book in the history of comics. You really don't need to read it. Yeah, and I think every comics historian knows that those last 50 are just garbage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just garbage. Yeah. He, um, for for readers who are not familiar with it, is one of the is seminal work of Dave Sim, who has many problems beyond this series that we don't need to get into. Right. Um, political issues but his importance was he says i'm going to do this thing i am going to write an epic poem in comic form it will be 300 volumes and then the we'll have a beginning middle and an end and it will be the epic journey of the rise and fall of this great you know monomythic hero who happens to be an aardvark and he did it and he said and he said that when, when did he start like the he's, mid he's 70s like, he started like in 77 but somewhere yeah. within the first three years he said this is going to be 300 issues long Cerebus right. dies oh, old, alone and unloved in issue 300 in issue 300 and then he ran out of story in, in issue 250 yeah or, or, or uh, well before that quite honestly yeah um, um, so he just keeps going but Dave Sim, and Dave yeah but Dave Sim as a voice for self-publishing and creators rights mm-hmm. he's in, in the 1980s he is one of the singular most important advocates of creators rights in comics mm-hmm. and and a lot of changes were made in comics in general for creators based on stuff he didn't promote it yes so, so he's incredibly important yep but wow don't really just don't don't dive into service <laughs> for, lots so, of, for, for lots of reasons mm-hmm. uh, i have a question so just while you guys are talking, I was thinking, like, what, how do you guys think that your sort of, like, research and, like, interest as, like, a pop, like, pop culture historians influences your taste? And then how does your taste change your kind of, like, role as a historian or a scholar? Yeah, you know, that, that that's interesting, because I was reading a lot of Cerebus as it came out. I was a big fan for a long time, um, until I wasn't. <laughs> and, and there are lots of reasons I wasn't, not the least of which is the story went on and on and he just lost me. Um, th- but there were some of the political issues as well. Um, I, I met Dave Sim any number of times at conventions uh, back when I was self-publishing and wanting to do more of that sort of thing. We would send him copies of things we did. He always wrote back. He was incredibly supportive. Um, so I, my, my personal interaction with him was overwhelmingly positive mm-hmm. um that's not true of everybody who had interactions with very him. much not yes yeah very much not um uh, without getting into too much for the listener wayne is a white male yeah that that helps that helps <laughs> that helps uh yes um, <laughs> little something about dave sim that would help him. Yeah. Yep. Um, You're not visibly Muslim. Also, right, help. yeah, yeah, that, that helps. Or Jewish. Um, <laughs> not someone who ever wanted to date him helps. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's had many, but, a, many a personal problem that he has made into very political issues. That yeah. He is almost unilaterally always on the wrong side of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but it, but your, your question is it's important because I I do I I bring him up in my my comics history class because I do think it's he's an important person he's to talk about in that context. Um, and I can look back now, you know, that stuff I was reading then that I thought was really funny and really dead on. I was also in that culture at that time. I got all the references. Mm-hmm. Thirty years later, pulled out of it. You know, I, it, it's like people who you know, people reading Gulliver's Travels who know nothing about the political s- circumstances he was 
he was writing about, you know, the, the parody that was taking place in that, the allegory in the parody. Um, you, you still read it as a story, but a lot of it's just like, what the, you know, <laughs> uh, this makes no damn sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, I was going to say not Gulliver's Travels, but my favorite thing is when um, people read Jonathan Swift's A Moss Proposal and they take it seriously. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's always so awkward. It is serious. Like, we could eat children. The world gets better. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, A Modest Proposal is a satirical, like, what, what would be, like, article? Pamphlet. Essay. Essay. I should, uh, I should link that in the show notes because I think that yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 proposing basically in order to solve like all kinds of political yeah. and hunger issues. and crime mostly, right? Hannah, you probably right. know it better than I do. Yeah, that you eat children. <laughs> um, I believe actually, like the Irish potato famine. Yeah, is that what the context? Uh, <laughs> or something? I don't remember. It's, just, anyway. it's about it's about the it's mocking like the poor like the way the poor were treated and the British policy toward the Irish in general because uh not to get into British Irish history, which is very complicated, uh the British are dicks and they maybe should stop <laughs> colonizing other countries. I, I understand that would help. I understand children are much better with with avocado. So. <laughs> yeah. You know. What's brilliant about it is I've I've used it in classes for where I'm teaching like intro to freshman writing and stuff because and you don't it's always fun to introduce it without explaining that it it's satire because like it is very well written and rhetorically hard to argue with all of his points are quite solid and it's the it's the problem of here's why you cannot just use logic for an for an argument because logically he's right. correct if you have a tr problem with poverty and you have a problem with hunger eat the poor people both problems go away eh. specifically the poor children yeah <laughs> and, but it's but you know and it's really hard to say that the only you know like this is where where students miss the the very obvious problem because they're not sure how to argue against it and then it's like the argument against it is we don't want to eat people uh, my favorite is when the students want to like argue in favor like yes he was obviously correct in his own time but the ethics have moved on and they're like he was wrong in his own time as well satire my friends you are not the first like quote unquote civilized generation to have existed I hate to break uh, it to you I was going to say remember when we outlawed cannibalism in the 80s yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I too grew up gnawing on my neighbors I I don't even yeah. know. Uh, though I suppose as an actress, well, the okay, it's actually, a bad argument to say we've moved on from this kind of behavior because there have always been people who have been like hey, there maybe have always we should people. Yeah, there uh, no, there have not. But like in any like section of history, there have always been people who've been like, hey, maybe we shouldn't enslave other people. Maybe we shouldn't treat women poorly. Build walls. So, <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, there have always been yes. Well, and I think actually about like now that you're talking about like the reaction of students is making me think like I think there is a challenge, especially when like what's good is specifically coming from like your professor or your teacher or mm -hmm. your mentor is like I think and I've definitely had this experience in my classes when I've taught there's like when I've taught science fiction, there's a lot of objectively bad sci-fi that I love dearly. Sure. Uh, and I teach it often because some of the most important books in science fiction history are not necessarily super great. Mm -hmm. Like, not everyone's mm -hmm. Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. um, 
but my students like I like I will occasionally even get in my like course feedback it's like why are you teaching us like mediocre to bad like bad novels and it's like because this is a genre that was built yeah on a lot of mediocre to bad novels as is frankly like every literary genre and Mm -hmm. probably every media yeah like you have to do a lot of dumb stuff in order to do good stuff some of it it is that broader context Mm -hmm. right Right. And it's like when this was new, like when something like, for example, example, Hugo Gernsback's book, which is horrible because it's mm. basically like a novel basically meets a textbook and not in the Melville way where it's fun and pithy, but in a Hugo Gernsback way where you kind of want to stab your own eyes out of page two. <laughs> Don't read it. Uh, but I teach, taught an excerpt of it because it was like this was the person like the, like he was the editor of Amazing Stories, which arguably is like the original sci fi pulp. Yeah. And like so he is an editor and is a writer and is someone who is like, conceiving of like what sci-fi could be in the United States is hugely important. But I basically teach it specifically because it's bad. It's like understand that this is what he thought the genre should have mm-hmm. been like. Mm-hmm. No one wants and, to read and this. And the, the Oscars of science fiction are named after him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And so and and what he's remembered for is often not what he actually, you know, thought science sci-fi should have been when he was writing in the 20s. So, you know, grain of salt and all that. But uh, so often because my, my, I think my students, it's like, OK, a graduate student, a professor has handed me something. It must be good with a capital G. Yeah. Ooh, no, I, I, I have a similar. And when you've, you've also taught a comics history class um, for non-comics fans, um, the Silver Age of comics lasts from roughly 1954 to 1970. Uh-huh. Give a year on either give or take a year on either side in that you know 15 to 20 year period. Um, I would argue that not a single good comic book was published. There's some truth to that. Our last three but, listeners just went. There are important books that came out at that time yes, that changed to, everything. Right. And I have to teach that period when I'm teaching the history of comics because it's a, you know, it's a 15 to 20 year gap. Arguably, everything is just crap. I mean, <laughs> they're they're and, and when you read them, a lot of it's fun. A lot yeah. of it's tremendous fun. Yeah, but they're really. This is dated. how I feel about like 1920s and 30s sci-fi. There's a lot of really fun stuff, and if you're an, if you're like a sci-fi nerd, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not in a way that's like this is good and should be preserved well, forever. Well, see, I think it should be preserved forever, but, it, yeah. but you have to understand it was a different time. Yeah. And, well, it should be preserved, but maybe yeah. not read by everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's so many that what I think of as the classics from that era in comics. That it just the example I'm going to use is the the Lee Kirby Galactus Saga that run of Fantastic Four. Uh-huh. There's like 20 issues there where they introduced the Inhumans and Black Panther and Galactus and, and like <laughs> significant, huge things. And you're uh-huh. not going to make any new reader a fan of comics by forcing them to read that stuff. Because <laughs> they're bad. I mean, there are... Yeah, I mean, the, well, for, also, for tastes the, have changed. For, yeah, right. Tastes have yeah. changed. For the time, what they were doing was pretty amazing given mm-hmm. the context they were doing it in. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. and you're looking at stuff like you're looking at the the advent of Black Panther, the first major black superhero in comics. Those stories are awful. And if you read them in 2019, oh, my God, are they racist? Now, do Mm -hmm. I think Stan was a racist when he wrote it? No, No. Stan was trying to be really, really innovative. And he he, he was he was incredibly progressive for a 50 year old white man in 1965. (laughs) But when you read 
<laughs> in 2019, if you if you if you're the kind of person who went and saw the Black Panther movie and said, "Wow, this is I, inspiring," I would I like to read know. Oh, God. Yeah. No, 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 don't do no, it. Don't do don't that. Do it. Unless you really, read the new one. yeah, you have to really understand what you're doing because, um, I mean, I, I recently I recently wrote a chapter for uh, a friend of the show, Joe Dorowski. Um, he publishes a series of books called The Age of Superheroes, and he he's doing one that's coming out next year on Black Panther, and I I wrote a chapter on the period of time in um, in Marvel comic books where Black Panther, a character who is designed to be a he's, he's designed to be a progressive black superhero and something that young black men reading comics can look up to, decided to change his name to Black Leopard so as to deassociate himself from the paramilitary um, activist group called the Black Panthers, which he didn't want to be political. Um, that's a oh comic book that appeared. It is. And I, you know, I wrote about it and I wrote why and I and I put in the cultural context of the actual Black Panthers, of which Stan was unaware when he invented when he chose the name. It is a weird coincidence. And I yeah. he says he was unaware. I believe him because I do too. Yeah, that the first appearance of the Black Panther happens. Um, the first appearance of the Black Panther happens two months before the Black Panthers um, as a whole received national recognition. Now they, they existed. And, and Stan was living in a fairly, yeah, you know, he was living literally a thousand miles away in a Jewish community in New York from where it was happening in California. Working in comics. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that he's exactly like hanging out in a lot of like yeah. black activists. It's just, or yeah. Just, yeah. It's a coincidence. And then they kind of go, Oh no, no, we want to keep ourselves away from that. So they changed the character's name so as to not be political for a character that they had just invented to be political. And then that story where he changed, they changed his name is literally all about race relations. <laughs> that entire story is oh, about apartheid. It's so crazy. But things oh, like that happen boy. and you kind of go, uh, what were you, who was it? But like, it's what they were thinking was they were trying to do something really, really innovative for that time. And it's just aged sure. very poorly. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So there, so, but I, but I love those things. This is the difference. This is, this is stuff that I love that I understand why other people would hate. Mm. Well, it's like stuff that's like, so like, I really love a lot of like Edgar Allan Poe, like his sci-fi stuff, which is admittedly really weird. And a lot of my students have like very mixed responses to it. Because they're used to like sci-fi with sort of like rocket ships and everything, which is very much not Poe. Although there are kind of rocket ships, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, I mean, I I am on the opposite end. I think of this in that I teach a portion of like what is called the canon that people think is like the great novel, the 19th century British novel. I don't think so, sure. but like, <laughs> but you know, uh, people. Like F.R. Levis literally wrote books in the 20th century called The Great Tradition. And like I said, look at Jane Austen. Jane Austen is the epitome of writing. She is the best. You cannot get better than Jane Austen. You complain about her a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, like, I, I think that we, like, sometimes forget that canon formation isn't just about, like, the best or taste or what was most popular. Because if it was what was most popular, Jane Austen would not actually be on the list. It's also about what value. Actually, most of the canon wouldn't be on the list. Yeah. Like, the great Gatsby wouldn't be there. Yeah. Mm. Like, like it's about what values that literature holds or, like, upholds or, like, how it reflects an ideal kind of national canon or, you know, um, what have you. It, it's about, like, what, you know, uh, to a large degree in some fields, what old white dudes in, like, the institutions um, decided they wanted us to read. 
and not necessarily even sort of you know it wasn't like it was a grand conspiracy or anything no. it's just sort of they got to choose and so they did and it's the things that were important to them and i think that that we i mentioned earlier the critics well, having yeah. the same taste you know like you sort of you sort of become a film critic by studying film you become a literary critic by studying literature and part of what we do is we sort of we sort of learn conventions and tropes and how they fit together in culture and you learn a way of appreciating certain things that sort of I mean like when when we talk about what's an Academy Award picture or what's a you know what's a, a Hugo winning um, sci-fi novel they're sort of things that you learn to look for it's a certain mm-hmm. aesthetic that you learn to appreciate that fits within either the high culture or low culture of that medium but it's not necessarily the same as what you enjoy if it was what you enjoy i couldn't enjoy sucker punch i i just think it's fun right like that's um and i and i would enjoy like i if i if it were just about critical acclaim i would enjoy lost because i acknowledge for instance that Ugh, lost is what I, but i acknowledge the filmmaking technique the storytelling yeah. technique i just I, can't I, get I into it yeah, i don't i don't even hate it i've tried to watch it uh, several times and i'm like this i've watched me. all but the last two episodes yeah. so i think i get to say that i don't i just don't mm-hmm. it bores me and but that's my personal yeah. taste as opposed to my uh, understanding what they're doing creating it because well, i do acknowledge i mean i, I, I think right. they did something it is a, intri- it is a fundamentally remarkable achievement in storytelling and, and television film. I just I would like say it. that it's an interesting achievement. I don't know if it's good in the sense of like craft, but yes, they did an interesting thing. Large parts um, of it are good in sense of craft. So I will say this, and this is I guess where importance is and only one of you, no, two of you will care. Without Lost and learning from Lost, uh, we would not have The Good Place, nor would we have Watchmen being as good as they are. True. True. Yeah. And, and, and I think I think that you, your, I think you need to that to some other. Shows I don't particularly yeah. enjoy. <laughs> why I said you won't care. <laughs> well, like most TV shows. Yeah, I think. Well, you, I, I would rather play video games. Yeah, I, I think you can extend that to a lot of TV shows since Lost. Sure. I, 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 no, I, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just you know name and. And I wouldn't contest that. Yeah. I just yeah, yeah. Think as also a TV show. It's not super mm-hmm. great. Yeah. It also, well, I guess I should I say it just it did not age well. It aged better than Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> okay. Anyway. It, I didn't care for Grey's Anatomy. Uh, it's still I, going, I, by I, the way. It's still I like going. The first, I like the first I, season until they killed off my two favorite characters in the final Grey's, episode. And Grey's, I was Anatomy, <laughs> Grey's Anatomy will go forever. Years after human human beings, as we know it, have died out, there will be zombies reenacting Grey's Anatomy for an audience of raccoons somewhere in the multiverse. It's no Riverdale. Aged better than most TV shows it was on the air with. So we've resolved nothing. We've resolved nothing. We may have. We may have just, in fact, resolved the show because I think. We're going to need some time to not talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, some of us will be having dinner together soon. Yeah, I, I, not even resolve nothing. I think we just got way off topic and that's fine. No, well, I, I think it all mattered because I think we're talking about 
I mean, all four. Yeah, of us no, I are, think it all matters. I think we just right? got way off topic. <laughs> we're, but but we're talking like about, every episode. Yeah, yes, yeah, like every seriously. episode. True. But we're Good talking part. about like how how taste is formed and yeah. like how it's how it's variable. And we are four different people. That's sort of what makes the show work. Mm-hmm. We're four different people who are all intelligent and who all have a wealth of you know media and culture experience, and yet we have different views on stuff of, of which there's much overlap. I mean, it's more fun to talk about yeah, sure. where we disagree because it makes for better radio but like but there's you know there's overlap and there's difference and i think what the real point of criticism is and this is one of the few things where and i didn't talk as much academic stuff as i thought it would but hogart kant and adorno who would not agree on what the purpose of culture is mm-hmm. they would all agree that the purpose of criticism is to have the conversation wherein you dissect the culture and the cultural relevance of the mediated experience and I think that's kind of what we do here. Boy, that that makes it sound really good anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think this is something I wanted to flag, Matt, what you were saying earlier, and maybe we can, just as a final thought, is that I think part of what we're talking about is also the training that makes you into a film critic. It's also, though, that you have to talk the talk so that you are taken seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By people who are already film critics. Yeah. Culture, like many other fields of knowledge and inquiry and all that stuff, is inherently conservative in the sense that you kind of, in order to be able to practice it as a profession, you have to speak the language of that profession that inherently ingrains in you certain ideas until you get to a certain point in your career where you can say like, well, fuck that. I don't want actually like any of the shit. I'm going to talk about Deadpool now. <laughs> there's something, there's something I hate that everybody loves. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, okay. Well, you do about the comic or the show. I like the movie. I, 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 less yeah, about the Deadpool I, comic. I, I like the movie. I think it's one of those things of, I kind of hate Deadpool as a symbol yeah. of everything that's wrong with comics. Oh, I fucking love Deadpool. I love because the, this like the cover they do of him murdering all the literary characters and he's on a fucking whale with a harpoon. We're very old because um, I, I feel the same as Wayne. It's there's so your, good. There's your avocado toast divide right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Here, I can lose this our listeners in like two seconds. I hate Taylor Swift. Um, sorry. I'm just trying to get rid of the uh, rest of them. <laughs> yeah, should we just like list out everything we hate at the end so the listeners could just all go? In? Uh, I hate Inglorious Bastards. The, I hate it, all. It is, I hate all Tarantino. Yeah, I like Tarantino. Half of it. Inglorious Bastards is my least favorite of his films, and it's yeah. most people's favorites. I, I, I like Long yeah. Time in Hollywood a lot, and and I have mm. real mixed feelings about Tarantino. So. I do not like Long mm. Time in Hollywood. I think it's his worst film and his yeah. most conservative. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I even think of something that I really hate. I hate Tom Brady, the football player. But mm. I mean, I have no opinion about football players. Not a big fan. Everything comes about his video games. Not a big fan of the Call of Duty franchise. <laughs> Really, oh, most this military shooters. This one's lost. Kind of here's where here's where I think it matters. Um, because I had arguments back in the mid '90s about like how people were thought that the most innovative show on television that was going to change the world was Babylon Five, and I said this is boring. No one's going to remember this once it was gone, and I was right. God damn it! <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 I vaguely remember I, that name. Yeah, I have, no, I, I have a no. real good friend who will tell you it's the best science fiction on TV ever. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. and, and, and I, I haven't watched it beyond like the first episode in 1997 or whatever. So I don't have I don't an opinion. It was that late. I think it was like four ninety four. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was a long time ago. And it, yeah, and it, it is. 
It was before I started reading sci-fi. So yeah, it was it was innovative to people at the time on to American audiences at the time because they're like, oh, we can do sci-fi as serialized television. And it was and this is like your thing about like, is, is it important? Well, sure, because if you'd never seen it, it before, been, yeah, it hadn't been done. But like now every sci-fi show is that and all the other ones are better. Broadway musical fans. See, it was useful and it made possible all of that stuff. Book of Mormon. I hate Book of Mormon and I am ashamed. The Book of Mormon or the play? The play. I'm ashamed I bought a ticket. (laughs) Which Book of Mormon are we talking about? (laughs) Broadway plans. Yeah, Broadway, the the play. Uh Should we close the show off before we insult any other major religion groups? (laughs) Um, Probably. I hate this podcast. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Wrong. Sorry. No, you love this podcast. I love this Leave podcast. A five-star review. <laughs> I would give it a five-star review if I, if I could. On yeah. iTunes. Uh, per usual, I can be found at, uh, at just that nerd kid on Instagram. There is very little nerd content, so <laughs> be warned. Although... I did. I did just finally break down and uh, bought poke with the new Pokemon today. So there might be chronicles of my Pokemon catching in, a, in my near future. You know what you should do? You should bring it to Thanksgiving. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Palindrome Hannah, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers. But uh, it seems that some of my documents didn't save and my computer crashed, so um, it's not fun content right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. We're laughing at your pain, but you know, we love you. Oh, uh, Wayne. <laughs> That's how you know that we love you. Uh, mostly here these days. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick on my blog at chrismaverick.com when I think to update it, which is rarely these days. Yeah, same here. Show, yeah, you can follow the show at Vox Popcast on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook on our blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post the ideas of upcoming shows and where you can comment and give us thoughts on what we should be talking about or what your thoughts are on what we did talk about. Do you hate everything that we hate or do you think we're idiots for all the stuff that we said we hated that you love? Um, you know, go there. Tell me I'm wrong for hating Monty Python. I don't care. But <laughs> even if you do that, <laughs> even if you do that, we would still appreciate, you know, clearly you got through this episode just if only to yell at us. And that's fun. That's worth five stars on iTunes, right? So to be fair, that's what academia is. Yeah, so if you can, if you enjoy this show on any level, please give us a five star review on Apple podcast. Uh, if you write a little something, something about how we're crazy, but, you know, we're interesting to listen to that. That helps other people find the show and we really appreciate it. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye. Everybody does. <laughs>